with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. Uh, I'm your host, Alan Mead. I'm a dentist, a podcaster, and a mail sorter. And uh, I would like to thank Premier Dental Products, Inspired Solutions for Daily Dentistry, for bringing this and every episode of the Alan Mead Experience to you. And I want to introduce my co-host, who's already been on the show once. Uh, he's one of my heroes, to tell you the truth. Uh, an educator and a friend, Dr. Jason Smithson. Jason, how are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. So I'm going to just tell the listeners right now that if you have not heard episode two of the Alan Mead Experience, just go back and listen to it because we're going to kind of pick up where you and I left off. Uh, I had to cut to you be, short. We were to, we were being so good, and I was continue. watching the time. Yeah, I know it, it is exactly. It was the cliffhanger. We do that like That's, Dallas. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like Bobby in the shower. I know. <laughs> <laughs> who who did shoot Jr. Anyhow, so so not me. <laughs> when I when I left last time, we were talking about you. Basically, gave us a little a little history of the practice that you're in and how you how yes. you got started. And what was kind of fascinating, for someone who teaches, I mean, honestly, high-end restorative dentistry, your your start in restorative dentistry was kind of, was was relatively meager. In other words, you kind of, you kind of focused <laughs> a lot on, yeah, relatively is giving you something. I mean, you did a lot of posteriors on, on a, on a, uh, probably an, uh, maybe an undesirable population to a lot of American dentists. Essentially, it was like a Medicaid practice, but it's, it's the <clears> national was, health service. It was essentially a Medicaid practice, but with lower fees. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> All the good stuff about Medicaid except lower fees. This is great. I would have, I would have killed for a Medicaid practice. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny that you say that because I listened, to, I listened to the episode just this morning again, and I was fascinated because I'm like, I mean, I've taken your courses, and I'm like, that's it. Sort of blows my mind. So here's one question I had about that that I didn't ask the last time. Do you feel uh-huh. like the reps that you got on these patients that basically they walked in your door, they were paying almost nothing for it, and you were going to restore them? Do you feel like uh-huh. those reps helped you kind of get your get your your style together, get your 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 abilities together? Uh, well, I I don't know because it kind of morphed over years. I mean. In the beginning, um, I, I, I was in. Well, I, I was in. I'm in the same office, mm-hmm. but the office has completely changed, and, and it's completely changed again over the last two, three years, actually. But in the beginning, I, I was. I came from a university background, uh, teaching really uh, oral surgery and fixed prof. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had kind of a university mentality. So these people were coming in with wrecked mouths. Mm-hmm. And I was just dismantling a quadrant at a time. I think I told you this. Yeah, I'd just yep. take out a whole quadrant of, of caries, basically. Yeah. Extract what was done, cut big MODs, and then while the while the all the caries and the amalgam and the old restorative was out, I just spin a spin a scaler, yeah. a sonic scaler around the teeth, which made scaling really easy. Just sure. Around, around, around. Sure. And then there'd be a big mass of blood, and I put some matrix bands on them, fill them with amalgam because nobody really was in, had the ability to pay for crowns sure. and composite resin wasn't really where it was at in that community. Uh, fill it with amalgam and the patient was out and the standard appointment time for a quadrant was between 45 minutes and an hour. Oh, wow. Okay. In which, yeah, yeah. And I would do four units, usually uh, three surface class twos, perhaps an extraction, 
uh, and scale that quadrant. Um, and I'd see the patient maybe three or four times, and then they'd be deemed stable. Yeah. So that, that, that was it. The other kind of patient was a clearance and some dentures, be it a partial acrylic or a, a partial or a full or a complete complete. Sure. Um, and that was a regular patient. So I did a good year or two of that. Um, so our, you talked a little. You talked a little bit about yes. using the camera in sort of sort of bringing these patients up to a level where they started wanting a little bit more, though wanting a little bit better. Yeah. So um, originally, um, I didn't have an SLR camera. I had a, a, a bit of a comedy intraoral camera. Sure. Um, and and I well, I just take pictures with the intraoral. Remember, this is twenty years ago. Yeah. I take pictures with the intraoral camera, and I had a, I, I was revolutionary because I had a printer. Yeah. Um, but the printer gave me something like a Polaroid. Yeah. No, I, we had Polaroid one too camera. at my dad's office. They were awful. I mean, they, they yeah. for the time they were they were something else. But I, I and well, I hate intraoral cameras now even. But but the reality is it was, it was more than you had before. You know. These patients were like, wow. Well, obviously, I wasn't showing them pictures uh, of amalgams. But that, to be honest, one thing that helped me at the time was um, in England, the National Health Service has regulations, a little bit like the regulations of insurance companies. And at that time, this is no longer the case. Um, if any English dentists are listening and planning on doing this, I wouldn't advise it because it's no longer the case. <laughs> okay. But at that time, you were allowed, if you had a two two surface or three surface restoration on a posterior tooth, it had to be an amalgam. Mm -hmm. If the patient wanted composite resin, white, they had to pay for it privately, in other words, free for service. Mm -hmm. um, so I basically started saying to patients, well, look, you know, the patients that were less ravaged, if you will, the patient that maybe needed one or two restorations, mm -hmm. I'd say to them, and, and were a bit more switched on, I'd say to them, look, you can, we can do this as a tooth color restoration for you if you like. And uh, I, I got generally the big kickback. They were like, no. Yeah. And we got into, I don't know whether we discussed this last time, but we got into a scenario where it was like composite of the month. Yeah. So um, I'd be doing this kind of quadrant amalgam dentistry and extractions and blood and guts. And then one, once a month, I'd have the odd patient that would have a composite. Um, and what I did is I did the composite. I took time, probably lost money on it. I was mm -hmm. charging virtually nothing and spending an hour doing these composites. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, I would take the intraoral picture before and after. Sorry, I'd take one in the beginning and one after and give it to the patient. And it was really marketing. And what happened is that they would go away. And when they came back for another one, they'd, they'd, they'd have another composite. And what I found interesting was actually commonly their husband or wife or kids or whatever, they would have a composite too. And what had happened is the person had gone home and shown this really crappy, grainy <laughs> picture. Yeah. But, you know, to an average person, it looks like a miracle. Sure. You know, even to be honest, my posterior resins weren't that special at that time anyway. But, but they were white. Sure. You know, and this is like a revolutionary, oh, there's this guy doing white fillings. Um, and this composite of the month started to become, after some time, maybe about a year, it started to become composite of, a week, of the week. Mm -hmm. And then it really snowballed. After, after that, within two years, I was doing a couple a day. Okay. Um, which doesn't sound very amazing. Um, 
but it's coming you have to know the area this is like if you can imagine your most blue collar area of, of I, the u.s i can and i i kind of i get it and i've i've that's what's so interesting because like at what point did you start i mean i know that uh, you were you were posting on dental town but you know it's 10 11 years ago you really kind of got onto dental town at what point where where is that in this in this transformation i mean were you so that i was i i started doing that in late 90s so that would be like 98 ish mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then um after let me get my dates right after about two years this was about 2000 i was putting uh I was doing a reasonable amount of composite residence, mm-hmm. as I say, two or three a day. I'm doing the odd private or fee-for-service denture, maybe the odd fee-for-service crown, mm-hmm. um, because metal-free crowns came out, and we were able to do those mm-hmm. fee-for-service as well, rather than the PFM, Got which it. were available on the health service. Um, so you could kind of punt them to patients by saying, oh, you won't have a gray margin, sure. if you will. Sure. Um, so we started to build on that as well. Um, so in about 2000, I decided rather unwisely to make the jump from this office, which was NHS or yep. really government insurance based, really, to full fee for service. Okay, that's I was going to ask that. Okay, so okay, you'd been at it for a few years then at that point in this office. Yeah, I qualified in '95, did three years in university based practice, uh, which took me up to '97, '98, then jumped. Um, I jumped into full fee-for-service private practice in about 2000, 2001, maybe. Okay. Um, I don't remember the exact dates. And the outcome was I lost about 80% of the patients. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's so funny because, so was because like, oh, this was why shit. I wanted to talk to you about it, right? I was, it was the, the, the full fee-for-service in the United States is a pipe dream that lots of dentists yeah. like want to do. And it's, it, and it's not impossible. Clearly it's, there are some people that are doing it, but, but I mean, like, now, let me, let me fill you in here. I'm from a modest background, so I'm used to living on fairly low yeah. income. Yeah. Uh, my wife at that time, well, my wife at this time as well, um, was at that time a dental nurse. So okay. she, it wasn't like I had a wife who was another dentist or, or a lawyer or something like that who could subsidize me. Yeah. Um, she, was, she was a dental nurse, so she wasn't on a hugely high income. Um, and basically the scenario was I was a young, newly qualified, well, not newly qualified, but relatively newly qualified dentist, still with a tiny, not so much because I didn't run up too much debt at college, but still with a tiny bit of student debt, I had at that point no house. I was renting a house. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I had a 10-year-old BMW wagon. Okay. Um, and very little savings in the bank. Um, and I then dropped my relatively stable, reasonably high, not hugely high, but reasonably high income on the health service because I was a fast worker, down to not very much in the space of a few months just by going private fee-for-service. But on reflection, I would say it's perhaps the most important jump I made in my career. Mm-hmm. And perhaps one of the best decisions I made in my life, one of, um, professionally anyway. Um, because, I, and this is what I would say to young dentists, 
if you don't make the jump when you can afford to, and the, the time when you can afford to is actually when mm-hmm. you're quite young and you don't have a big mortgage and you don't have a mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. If you don't make that jump when you can afford to, you, it's never going to get easier. I, that's that's like what yeah. I would say to young dentists. Because I, I literally, as soon as I, you get into that mortgage, as soon as you get into certainly kids, you can't afford to do this. Your financial security thing. becomes so big in your mind that that you're not going to be willing to take the pay cut for the time. Because I'm assuming it was a pay cut for a while until you worked up to Um, it. Yeah, (laughs) quite a big one. Like I was sitting in the office for pretty much 50% of the day doing it. Too bad they didn't have Facebook then, right? I mean, geez, that would have been so That's what I went on Dental Town. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I had time on my hands. Okay. So, I mean, that is is a great, I mean, (laughs) that's really what I wanted to dig into here. I'm like, so... So you're, I mean, the the switch from, and maybe maybe not uh, in the United States. Probably a lot of people are not so much, uh, you know, Medicaid or or the the health service. But I mean, a lot of people are probably taking PPOs that are that are, yeah, they pay not okay, great. but you know that sort of thing. But but making that jump, I think a lot of people talk a lot about it. But it's it is the reality is is that in most situations you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna take it for a while. You're gonna lose some some ground for a little while from the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how achievable that is nowadays. Certainly in the U.S., mm-hmm. the amount of student debt I see. I know um, uh, the student debt I see currently in the U.S. I find pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, I had student debt of at that time perhaps twenty five, thirty thousand pounds, mm-hmm. which is what like fifty k dollars, which is you know it's fifteen, twenty years ago. But, it's it's I mean, not that, nothing by any means, but compared I, to I'm what I'm hearing, yeah. I'm hearing ten times that nowadays. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so, but the, my point is, if you have any aspirations to to move towards a fee for service private practice, then really, uh, the earlier you do it, the better. I mean, that's brilliant. I love I love that. That's kind of what I was hoping to get out of you because I didn't. What I wanted, to, I was in my mind. I'm like, okay, did it just go perfectly smoothly for him, or was it? No, it really, and... it really, really didn't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So here's no. a question. Let's just say, let's just say, um, let's say you get a young dentist who really would like to be high end restorative, doing doing some some of the stuff like what you're doing. Yep. What kind of CE are you going to tell them to take? Like, what did? How did you? How did you learn the stuff that you're doing now? Is this because I I get a feeling a lot of it was you sort of put it together yourself a little bit, but I don't know. Yeah. That. I did some composite courses. I'm I'm kind of known for composite, mm-hmm. probably. Although I do a lot, you know, my my the new kind of move in my office is going more to more towards ceramic, mm-hmm. minimally invasive um, ceramic kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah. Um, but the the composite, I, I did composite courses with. Well, I did Buddy Moppers. Mm-hmm. I did Newton Falls. Um, I did Didier Dici is a very good course. Um, I saw some online stuff from people like Bob Marges, mm-hmm. uh, Marcus Vargas, people like that. Um, uh, Lorenzo Vanini was, in fact, my first composite course. Mm-hmm. Um, and these were people who inspired me. I did quite a lot of reading at that time. There were not a lot of books around, so it was mainly papers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of dentists are not keen to read papers because it's hard work to find them. Yeah. Um, and if you want to progress, you've really got to do that. One mistake I made, um, now I'm in a position that I am. I, obviously, I have a fairly large number of friends who are in similar positions uh, internationally. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and one unifying factor I find amongst those, those people, which I didn't have, was a mentor. Mm-hmm. Now, in the and certainly in in the UK, it, it was at that time very difficult to find a mentor because we didn't really have anybody at that time that was kind of really internationally known for this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Really, really, the UK wasn't really known for this kind of work. Um, and although I had some mentors, um, Jeremy, who was the practice owner where I worked initially, he was very helpful to me in the beginning with with amalgam carving, for example, and mm-hmm. crown preparation and some imp- implant restoration. He, he wasn't a cosmetic guy, uh, and he isn't really a kind of aesthetics kind of guy. He's more of an occlusion stroke implantology kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was very helpful. But I, I would I would say to younger dentists, um, the step is not to really seek out CE. The step is to find a good mentor. Now, that may not be in your practice. It would be advantageous if it was in your practice. But it may not be in your practice. It may be locally. It, it may even be in your state. It may be nationally. Mm-hmm. But somebody somebody older, more experienced, who you respect, who works in the field that you're interested in, it may not be cosmetics, it may be endo, it may be ortho or whatever, um, who is prepared to help you. Um, I, I mentor about four or five younger dentists and I converse with them, well, one of them almost daily, another one maybe a couple of times a month, uh, but usually about once a week. Um, and I commonly advise them on reading and books to read, um, papers to read, um, and which courses to go on because everything's different. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, if a dentist comes to me um, and says, well, which composite course should I go on? Well, obviously, I say mine first, but. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I, I would, <laughs> obviously. Um, but I want to see their work because it may be that that person, you know, is at a stage in their career where you know, they really need to go on uh, perhaps a more basic course, like, sure. for example, buddies. Um, but it may be that that person is, is really quite advanced and, and they may need to do something perhaps like Newton's, which is perhaps the other end of the scale. Mm-hmm. It's a complex course. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't want to put a, a, a very new dentist on Newton's course because it's a great course, but it's very advanced. Sure. Um, Easy to get overwhelmed with this stuff. I can say that from experience, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I to be honest, I did Newton's course and I loved it. But but I was at a stage in my career where I where I needed that. That's mm-hmm. the course I was looking for. You know, I'd gone so far with the other courses, and I was like, yeah, but how do I do this really advanced technique? How do I how do I put like microanatomy on teeth? Mm-hmm. And that was a course that gave me that. But mm-hmm. that really isn't a course for a new grad. No, that's right. You no. Know? Um, so. In answer to your question, really, I think the stage is find a mentor and get the mentor to advise you. Yeah. That, that's what I would say. It's got to be frustrating um, as an educator, too, to, to have, like, literally, you get you can walk into a room where there are people at that level that are ready to, that, that really need that. And then in the same class, you've got people who are, probably don't even really know how to bond to a tooth, you know, or whatever. I mean, or, or composite is sort of, yeah, they're, they're, and yeah. that's got to be really tough as an educator. I mean, I'm wondering how, how's the best way to sort that stuff out? It, it almost needs to be on the, on the level of whoever's giving the course at that point. I don't know. It's, they're not going to turn people away, but it's, I could see people getting well, frustrated if they didn't know. My class, my class is really aimed at the middle. 
So I will tend to like well, the format of my class is to lecture first and, and then do some hands-on to reinforce it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tend to, to lecture at the middle ground and then uh, I'm, I'm reasonably good at reading people. So I will look around the class and gauge the questions. You look for now, the, if I'm getting, look for the if deer I'm, in the headlights look and <laughs> yeah, well, if help I'm those getting people more. Like if people are sticking their hands up and saying, uh, can you bond to dentine? and things like that, well, no, that happens, seriously, then I'll dumb the lecture down a little bit. That's, dumb down is probably the harsh way to say no, it. No, I get but you'll, you'll, you'll reduce yeah, you'll, it a little bit. You'll go a little more then, basic, yeah. Yeah, go a little bit more basic. And in my own mind, um, I'll be thinking, okay, the hands-on is designed in a certain way, but I may skip some steps in the hands-on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because, because clearly they're going to struggle with that. And I would rather somebody go home with a technique that is more basic that sure. they can actually do. That's usable, exactly. Rather yeah. than have an idea of a more complex technique that they really can't do. On the flip side, if um, if it's clearly quite an advanced class and they're asking me, you know, about metalloproteinases in bonding and mm-hmm. and you know, um, you know, research data on class uh, on class four bonding agents and stuff like that. And I'm thinking this is a more advanced class. And then all of my, you may have noticed all of my slides have, have um, references at the bottom. I may start talking about the references. Mm-hmm. And then when we do the hands-on, we may do things like really subtle fracture lines and, and little tiny hypercalcifications and how to put uh, microtexture in the gingival third and, and stuff like that. Um, it's, just the, it's just the way to read the group. Sure. The tough one, which happens quite commonly about half the time, is when you've got a mix. Yeah. So you've got about a half of the class in the middle, which is cool. And then you've got maybe 25% at, at the beginner stage, at the starter stage, mm-hmm. and about 25% at the very advanced stage. And that's when you kind of have to get off your ass and wander around the room yeah. and help help them really uh, you've, because but you, when read. i've taken from cosmonaut you've done that a fair amount too you kind of you can you can sit and yeah. help, help the people that and need Matt more help Costa and stuff. comes and helps me commonly in yeah. fact he's coming out to help me with the ceramics course okay. in in september okay. um so that gives us you know it, it, there's 15 people in the can in the class and two instructors so that means i can get around everybody roughly at least once an hour mm-hmm. maybe a couple of three times a day mm-hmm. So on the beginnings, people, you you kind of like dealing with thicknesses usually yeah. of resin, you know, because that's the most challenging bit. Commonly, people will make the resin too thick in yes, the layers, yes. and then they run out of room. Well, that's um, amen, brother. I mean, that's that's and that is when when you're when you're first starting that that kind of layering, uh, yeah, it's like you can't you almost can't put too small of an increment in when you're doing exactly. that. Exactly, I can always do it twice. Exactly, <laughs> you know, put a bit but my more thing, in. my thing is like. That's 100% not how how it's taught in in other ways. No. You know, it's like, I mean, in in a, you know, this is not necessarily a technique that's going to go for speed. And and I think that you have it can to be once you get experience. Sure, but you, when you're starting, yeah. you really have to. You have to. Yeah. Less is more on all of that. And I still, honestly, exactly. to this day, I've I, I I think the second time through your class on composite, I finally realized, like, look, don't don't rush the don't, don't rush the. It. Because they ended cutting it back and then making a mess and blah yeah, blah blah. Yeah, oh, and then it's then it's then you're in, you're in trouble at that point. You might as well start over, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but and on the converse, I usually find, you know, with a with a more advanced pe- people, then you might say, well, actually, I've taught this, but 
I've got some other stuff here. Let's just flick a little bit of this and maybe put a little bit of white, maybe a bit of ochre here. And, and then when you do the polishing, oh, let's, we, we've polished the basic line angles, but hey, how about we put a little depression here and a little mm -hmm. bit of fracture line here and blah, blah, blah. And, and you're kind of giving each person a kind of customized course. Mm -hmm. What I'm doing is I'm looking at them and re realizing what their weaknesses are and what their strengths are. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, a guy who's very comfortable with the layering. I'm not going over the layer or a girl. I'm not going over the layering with them, but I may be focusing on polishing. Polishing is tends to be the weak point for most people. Sure. Um, so we have a very strong focus on that. Um, but yeah, it's it's education is challenging overall. I agree. Um, I agree. It comes with experience. Well, and the other thing is, is that what I, I wonder about things like, um, okay, so I, was, I, I threw you some questions. I'm like, what, what do, do you, you wonder about? What do you, what do you think the difference between an adequate restorative dentist and an extraordinary one is like, what details are the high end guys really covering that? Like, a you know, maybe an average person is not taking into account. That's, that's, a, I find that interesting. Have you ever found yourself needing an extra set of hands while you're working on a patient? Maybe you're trying to scan that number two crown prep that you just did and you got lips and cheeks all over the place and even with your assistant, it's just not enough. Or maybe you're trying to take an impression and you just don't have an extra person to load the tray. You need to check out Premier's Comfort View Lip and Cheek Retractor. Now, I have a whole bunch of these things around the office because I find them handy like in a lot of different situations. For instance... I do all my exams in a, in a microscope. I use this big honking mirror. It's really cool. I call it a clown mirror. And I need to be able to get it in and show the patient what I'm seeing. But I kind of need to be able to retract their lips and cheeks out of them. So I pop one of these things in. And it's like having two people holding the cheeks from either side. The thing's crazy. Super comfortable. It's more anatomic than any retractor you've ever seen. It's got these little pads that kind of go up underneath their upper and lower lip uh, to keep it comfortable and out of the way. The thing's amazing. Um, I've been using them for a better part of a year now, and it's amazing the things you think of to use them for. So you need to go check them out. They're called the Comfort View Lip and Cheek Retractor. They come in small and universal. Uh, they come two per package. They're really inexpensive considering what you get. They are latex-free. They are sterilizable. Man, you got to try this in your office. You're going to love it. Premier, inspired solutions for daily dentistry. This, this, I'm going to give you an answer you're not expecting now. Okay. Um, funnily enough, I was discussing this with somebody on Facebook last night. The, the perception the, of an exceptional restorative dentist is somebody who maybe polishes in lots of microanatomy, fracture lines, maybe layers and puts multiple layers in beautiful um, opalescence, um, nice little warm amber areas, little white hypercalcifications, gets all the flim-flam aesthetics correct. Now, I've been watching a lot of cases on Facebook by a lot of operators for the last year or two, and I actually find that the majority of people, the majority, and I'm saying maybe 95% who post cases on social media, now this would be what I would consider to be upper-end people. Mm-hmm don't understand basic operative dentistry. Like 
commonly you see a case that is not correctly isolated, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. You see rubber, rubber dam place that's not inverted correctly. You see obvious stretching of the rubber dam with papilla peeking through. You see capillary leakage of the rubber dam. Then you see um, uh, caries removal that's inadequate. Mm-hmm. Um, common error, small bits of brown or chalky white uh, carious enamel at the margins, not removed. Then my pet hate, and this is perhaps one of the most common errors I see, is um, enamel margins which are not finished correctly. Mm-hmm. So a, the dentist will pick up a burr, usually a, mid, a medium grade or, or coarse grade diamond, cut out the amalgam, if there's an amalgam or old resin, and cut out the caries and then put composites straight in. They don't take the time to finish the margins with, for example, a fine diamond mm-hmm. or a tungsten carbide finishing burr. So you've got crisp, smooth margins. They don't aerobrade the tooth. So you, when you look at the case, they're, they're starting to etch, and you can see biofilm and, and calculus in other areas of the tooth. These are things, funnily enough, now I've been in the same office now since 97, mm-hmm. 97, 98, these are things that give you longevity. This is health, mm-hmm. right? So I think the things that differentiate uh, an exceptional clinician from from maybe the average are the operative dentistry steps. You mm-hmm. know, the good quality isolation, the really high quality tooth preparation, and then what differentiates the exceptional clinician from somebody who's uh, the top of the game is the fact that they do all the operative dentistry steps correctly and they do all the aesthetics with the tints and the polish and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's kind, of, it's kind of another jump up. And um, funnily enough, I, I'm moving my class more away from um, teaching, um, teaching the aesthetics things more over to try and reinforce the op- operative dentistry things because actually the operative dentistry uh, stages for direct resin uh, and to some degree for ceramics don't actually take more talent. Mm-hmm. They just take more attention to detail yes. and a tiny bit more time. Yes. So I, I kind of think it's more of a catch. You don't have to be an exceptional dentist to finish the margins with a tungsten carbide burr, mm-hmm. but you have to have an exceptional mentality and work ethic to do so. Um, so that is what we're trying to get over really now. And that, that's just that's something that's just occurred to me. Um, well, maybe over the last two or three years, I, I, I have a, a, a good friend, called, a guy called Frances, Francesco Mangiani, who's mm-hmm. a, an older dentist who's uh, based in Rome. And his teaching has always been on operative dentistry, all the finishing stages and preparation stages. Um and that's something I've taken from him, and I, I think he's right, really. If you want to stay in the office for a decent amount of time, then, you, yeah, fair enough, you can do the tints, but you've got to make the thing last, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I so mean, that, and I love... probably not the answer you expected. No, actually, actually, I was kind of... It was the answer I was kind of hoping for, because part of it is, is um, like, rubber dam use, I think in the United States in particular, is really limited. I mean, I, I think it's pretty standard for endo, but I, it's shocking to me how few people like just sort of laugh that off. I'm like, man, it's it, it makes a huge difference. It's easy to get lazy about it though, and and, and I mean, that there's lots of people that want to use the isolate. They're like, well, it keeps it dry, but it, but it's like, 
I mean, but it, it really doesn't. It, I mean, it's it does it does some stuff, but it's not the same as a rubber dam. I but, use isolite. I use isolite for crown prep. It's cool. I, I, there is a flip on that again. Uh, again, I'm, I'm citing Facebook, but let's call it social media. Mm-hmm. On social media, I see guys uh, doing crown preps for PFM, maybe sure. with with rubber dam. And I'm like, dude, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. You could, you know, that's that's just. And then, you know, I teach the vertical preparation, which is a knife edge margin. And I've had messages from people saying, well, well, how do you get rubber dam on when you do the cementation of that? Well. It's a subgingival margin. I don't. You yeah, rubber know? dam's not going to, yeah, it's not going to, there's no advantage yeah. there, yeah. But for direct resin, um, anterior and posterior, every case I use rubber dam. Mm-hmm. For ceramic onlay, every case I use rubber dam. And for veneers, not all the time, if I'm honest, but pretty much 95% of the time with veneers, I use rubber dam. Okay, so this uh, is the for, question for, I've for always wanted to ask you. I, I know that yeah. about you, and, and I, I aspire to be like that. What do you do with patients that, that don't tolerate it? And I have to say, I'm going to say this right out, most patients yeah. actually do tolerate Most patients do tolerate My mother is one. Is that right? Oh, my God. I wasn't expecting that. So what's the, what's the solution? I, I mean, it's so glad to hear. I'm so glad to hear that you run into patients that, that My do mother that. has a lot of gold and zirconia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, right? But there I mean, go, that's the solution. It's well, it's, um, it's a limitation that the me. patient is offering you. I mean, that's that's part of it, right? No, this is this is how it goes, with, and this is another philosophy I've had in my office. So let's take, for example, I, I have now about four patients that won't accept it. Mm-hmm. The first barrier to rubber down placement is actually communication. Yep, because um, typically a dentist won't even discuss the rubber dam. Um, with the patient. So what happens is the patient gets anesthetized, uh, the patient becomes numb, and then the dentist's on with the rubber dam, and the patient's often never had rubber dam on before, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh my God, what is he doing? What is this? Yeah, exactly. doing yeah, yeah. And they, can't, they feel they can't breathe, they feel they're claustrophobic, they feel they can't swallow. I, I don't know if you've ever had rubber dam on. I had rubber dam on. It's challenging to swallow. I've had a rubber dam on for... So much, and I was I was a yeah, yeah. I was a gold boards patient back in dental school. Uh-huh. I had a rubber dam on for like four hours straight. It, yeah, yeah, it is bizarre, but it's actually I, I'll take it over the isolate any day. I'll take it over the isolate any day because it doesn't crank you open the same way. So I I say to the patient, look, this is rubber dam. We use this on all of our patients for bonding. It's not a new thing. It's been around since the eighteen nineties. I've used it for the whole of my career, right? What am I saying there? Um, I'm giving them some information. And what, what the patient is thinking in their head is that, oh, my God, my other dentist didn't use that. And it's been out for years. So this guy is switched on. Mm-hmm. Then I say the reason why I use it is because, firstly, I don't want you to get amalgam and carious dentine and tooth and swallow it. Because, you know, there's no data that proves it's a bad thing to happen. But, you know, I don't want to be swallowing bits of old filling material. Sure. Um, And secondly, I want to isolate the tooth so that when I bond in this composite resin or when I bond in this onlay, I don't get any saliva underneath it or blood. And if I don't get saliva or blood underneath it, it means the bond, the gluing I'm going to do is going to be stronger. This is the kind of language I use. It's going to be stronger, and therefore it's going to, A, not cause you so much sensitivity in the 
the few days after you've had the restoration placed. And B, it's going to last longer. And because it's going to last longer, it means you have to come and see me less and you're going to need to spend less money. <laughs> and in the, yeah, this is exactly what I say to them. Well, and but it's also, it's so also what, exactly what they want to hear too, right? Yeah. Oh, God, it's been tuned over the last 15 years. So it, what's going through my mind, what their mind is, oh, my God, this dentist is switched on. He's doing this for me as a positive thing. Um, and my other dentist didn't do it. So, because obviously I don't explain it every time to, to patients that have been my, my practice for a number of years. Sure, because, sure. you know, they've had, they've had this bullshit explanation before. Um, so then I say, well, the, usually people worry. And I show them the rubber dam. It's really important to show them with the holes in it. And I mm-hmm. say, look, I'm on this side and you're on that side. <laughs> I love so that. Kind of I've pre- never, I've never used that. You're kind of protected. It's yeah. like a barrier. Yeah. And, I, and then I say, a lot of patients go to sleep with it on. Mm-hmm. I actually do sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's not a problem if you want to do that. That's telling them it's relaxing. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is all like subliminal messages. I'm not actually saying I'm suggesting things. Mm-hmm. And then I say, there are a couple of downsides. The first one is that patients feel they can't breathe. Mm -hmm. But you will be able to breathe because there are holes on each side. Mm -hmm. Um, I skipped a bit. It's important when you show them rubber dam. Show them rubber dam with holes in it. Do not show them the clamp. Right. Because that doesn't look very friendly. The rubber dam looks fine. The Mm -hmm. clamp doesn't doesn't look too great. Mm -hmm. Um, I say the other issue um, is swallowing. Now, I've had the rubber dam, and I make a joke of this. I said, I've had the rubber dam on for years, and the first time I had it on, nobody told me this. So I spent the best part of an hour choking on my own spit. Mm -hmm. But what you need to do is to put your tongue to the roof of your mouth to swallow. Now, you don't normally swallow like that, but just try it now. Open your mouth and stick your tongue to the roof of your mouth and swallow. Mm -hmm. And they do that while I'm setting the rubber dam to put it up in their mouth. And then I say, can you do that? Okay. And they say, yes. I say, well, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the rubber dam on now. And then, I, and it's going to take a couple of minutes. And then, because it takes, it takes me somewhere between two and three minutes to get a rubber dam on a quadrant sure. with a floss tie. Sure. Um, That's fast, by the way, with the floss ties. That's awesome. Yeah, put two or three minutes with a, for, for lower second, for upper or lower second molar round to maybe uh, distal of a canine, mm-hmm. which may be my isolation for a two surface. On a on a upper first molar, for example, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a very common restoration in my office. Interestingly, um, it's, I think a lot of times the mistake I make is that I'm like, well, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna take it that far around because it'll be more comfortable. And the yeah, story is, you really need to way. take it further around because it's less comfortable. Exactly, <laughs> and it gives yeah. you more room. You can work. You're not like the story is you're putting it on anyhow. So it does, the the patient's not <laughs> counting how many teeth yeah. you flossed it onto. So it's that's really a. It's a it's a rookie mistake that I continue to make because I I think oh less is more you know that's not really yeah, true with yeah. the dam you might and as well then go you have further to around. fight them then you have to fight them exactly so I get it on and then I just give them a minute while I do other things just to get used to it and then I say Are you okay and we get on and we don't get objections now going back to your original question that you, before I did that I used to get about fifty percent of patients objecting mm-hmm. as soon as I start to explain in that manner. Any reasonable patient is seeing that it's for their benefit. Mm-hmm. I think a big mistake is the dentist puts it across as if it's for the dentist's benefit, mm-hmm. not the patient's benefit. You know, they said like, oh, I've just got to get this on. Just sit still. Yeah. You know, 
and, and the patient doesn't see their own personal benefits. You know, I, I have rubber dam on for my treatment, and I don't particularly like to have it on, mm-hmm. but I see there's a benefit in it, so I put up with it. Mm-hmm. And then patients put up with it. Now, the few patients who will not put up with it usually have a psychological problem, usually claustrophobia sure, or sure. something, or they've had an event in their life yeah, that yeah. means they can't cope with it. So those patients, I say to them, look, um, for, for example, a patient comes in with a, who needs a, a composite on a lower second molar tooth surface. And I say to them, look. Always. Uh, it's if, always a distal, too. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want to have... Uh, a composite resin in this tooth, we're going to need to put rubber dam on. How do you feel about that? One answer, yes, okay, I'll put up with it for that. Another answer, I can't put up with it. Okay, fine. So my next thing is I do sedation. So the next thing I'm going to say is, okay, what we can do is if you really want to have that composite, what we can do is we can give you some sedation, put the rubber dam on, do the procedure. Um, but the downside is obviously it's a longer appointment. Mm-hmm. There's a higher charge because there's a high there's a charge for the sedation, um, and, and you need an escort to bring you uh, to the office. What kind of sedation home. are you doing? Do you IV or oral? IV to midazolam. Okay. Usually, um, this is what we're allowed to do in the UK. Okay. Um, you, we don't do polypharmacy or anything exotic like that. Okay. So we have. Not a large number, but I can think off the top of my head, maybe 20 patients in my office that will come regularly and have quite small amounts of work done with sedation just because they don't cope. Mm -hmm. The other group of patients, a few, four or five, they get gold on amalgam. Yeah. That's how it is. You know, and I say to, I just explain to them, I say, look, the, the deal is I can't do this properly without the rubber dam on. You can't have the rubber dam on and that's fine. You know, it's a free country. Um, I can fix the tooth and it's, you know, there's, there's a perfectly decent material called silver amalgam, which works fine, is well proven, mm-hmm. but it's not so pretty. It tolerates yeah. the conditions better than, than composite in that Yeah, situation. I mean, you do need good isolation for amalgam, sure. to be quite honest. I think it's underestimated how I good agree. isolation I you agree. need. But, but you can pretty much get an amalgam done with cotton roll isolation, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and they have amalgam. And usually, to be honest, they're um, what I call my crumbly seniors. So they're like <laughs> parents of parents. Yeah. So these are people who are in like 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, they don't want to be sitting in a chair for 40 minutes an hour having a composite done anyway. They no. want a quick 20, 30-minute amalgam mm-hmm. because they're struggling you know, with painful joints. They've got lots of other health issues. Disease. Frankly, yeah, you're, you're piecing yeah. them together and, anyhow. And, I agree. And their plaque control often isn't that great, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, they they get that kind of restoration. And that's kind of how we handle it. Some people walk, you know. Sure. And, and you just have to – that's another thing I see and commonly on dental town, actually. I don't go on there so much now. But, you know, people are like, well, the patient walked. What do I do? And the answer is live Let with him. it, you know. Yeah, you, can't, you can't be – everything to everybody. Well, and, and part of it is, okay, this is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that like an, the really top of the top uh, dentists, the restorative dentists are drawing a line and there is, there is, you know, across this line, you just won't do it. And, and honestly, yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. That's hard. That's, that sounds easy. And if you, if you've done it that way forever and you're very comfortable with that, that's fine. That is hard for, for a new dentist who, who, wants to get work done, wants to have people in the chair, like, like holding that, 
holding themselves to that level is really difficult to the point where well, is it is it now look at look at it like this if the patient came into you and said well i want a restoration doing uh but i don't want you to remove all the caries mm-hmm. or i don't want you to use the handpiece <laughs> mm-hmm. would you still do it no of course not so well obviously not so why would you not do it when you, they won't allow you to use the rubber dam well uh, clearly yeah, because you don't think the rubber dam thing. is that important <laughs> the story is like yeah. you get out of dental school in the united states and and what everyone says is oh that's the last time i have to use that stupid thing where like you literally yeah. i learned rubber dam like how to use it really after well after like for years yeah. i was glad to not have to use it and, and i i I came on actually as Doctor Ed and and you to some extent on Dental Town that that shamed me into using it again, right? So, it, it, which is important, but I think that there's a lot of people that are like, I mean, they look at it as it's not it's, it's not taught very well. It's not taught very well in dental school. Yeah, and then it's forendo exactly. Uh, to be honest, I didn't really learn to use it well until I became high volume resin. Mm-hmm. You know, in my early formative years when I was. It, had the office I was talk, talking to you about, and I didn't obviously put rubber dam on for those patients. You know, I started I started to put rubber dam on for the composite of the month because it it, it gives a, a, a unique factor to the composite resin over the amalgam. Totally. Do, do you follow me? Yeah. Um, so the patient can discern a difference. It's yeah. actually a different procedure in their head. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, that's one of the reasons why I did it as well. One of the great things um, about using it regularly, though, is that there are a certain percentage. I'm going to say a third of the patients that you put it on, that you start using it regularly, that not only do they accept it, but they like it because they're the, the benefits you're I talking to them about. More. Yeah, the benefits you're talking to them about are real. By the way, that's a real thing. Like they don't get a bunch of crap on their tongue. They don't get it. That's that's a huge, huge thing. Well, like like all of a sudden, they're the into talent. it. We, uh, to be fair, not so much now, we're incredibly busy at the moment, but maybe five years ago in the recession, we lost a lot of patients because we are perhaps one of them now, more, one of the more expensive offices in our town. We're, not, we're still not hugely expensive, to be honest, but for the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and within a year or so, we were getting, not all of them, but quite a large number of them back saying things like, oh my God, he did a... He did a composite in my mouth without rubber down, you know, like it's a, like it's a criminal offense. That's awesome. But they had got used to it, you know. They'd got used to having um, their restorative work done with rubber dam. They'd had the reasons explained to them. So when they go to another office and it's done in, a, in what is, frankly, the normal way without rubber dam, mm-hmm. they see it now as negligent. I love that. I love that. I mean, uh, you, you've trained them. They've been, they've been educated, basically. Yeah. That's, that's, that is fantastic. The one, the one last thing I'm going to say about the rubber dam, and this is someone who aspires to use a scope or, or is using high magnification, like oh, a yeah. microscope without a rubber dam is you Forget put a rubber that. dam on it. I mean, like the contrast that, that a rubber dam can give uh, in a – I mean, there's – as Dr. David Clark likes to say, the amount of visual information that's coming into your head – it's it's yeah. it's mind blowing, and so if you you throw a bunch of pink lips and gums and teeth and, or and tongue and all that on top of that, it's hard. Where when you have something this bright blue giving you a contrast, it's mm-hmm. it's amazing. It makes a huge difference, and it's it's more fun. It's more fun to work on that. To tell you the truth, yeah, so, exactly. I don't know. I've, Can I've, you hear the bells in the background? By the way, yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. I, I live in, I live in a, a church house next to the church, and there's bell ringing practice tonight. So oh, you nice. Could probably hear, you could probably hear that in the background. I love it. I know I can't, but I love it. Hey, listen, oh, okay. Jason, we have approached the end of our show again. We've done it again where we've kind of filled Perfect. the entire show up. This, is, this was great. I'd love to have you on again, but thank you so much for spending some time with us. I think there's a ton of like actionable stuff that we got out of you again today, so that was fantastic. Okay. Very good. We'll, we'll talk to you again we'll soon. carry on again. Yeah, we'll talk to you then. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Have a good day. If you have any questions or comments for me about this or any of our shows, please email me at alan, A-L-A-N, at theallenmeetexperience.com. Be sure to go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. Five stars would be excellent. And we will talk to you again soon. 